Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? This week, the brilliant Amanda Montai, who has this newsletter called Mad Woman, which I have been following for years. Uh, she's a really good writer. She recently came out with a book called Touched Out about motherhood in the US, but I think it applies to ideas of motherhood everywhere, actually. So she's looking at the idea of motherhood with a capital M, like the concept of this as it's created by a patriarchal culture and analyzing it with reference to the Me Too movement. So about consent and things like this. And the term touched out is really interesting. I had never really heard of it before. It's this term that is used by mothers and it hasn't been studied too much but she felt it and, you know, that exists on like Reddit and all those chat forums, which is this phenomenon that women feel like they don't want to be touched anymore after having spent a whole day with children. Like mothers get touched and pushed and pulled and, you know, their bodies are used to breastfeed and give comfort and everything. They're being touched all day and their bodies become like, used by their children all day and then they get touched out they don't want to be touched anymore or have for example intimate relationships with their partners or things like that because I think they need some like time and space and try to assert their bodily autonomy so what she's saying is that it's very difficult for mothers to assert their bodily autonomy because they are expected by society to always be available you know, to be touched and used and give comfort to their children, to, you know, be sacrificial, to sort of put the needs of others above themselves, which she says is part of rape culture. And also I thought it was really interesting because it sort of links to a lot of uh, what we talked about last week, which is about like these big ideas of gender that we kind of all grow up with. So as a child, you know, we grow up expecting to maybe be mothers or we're giving dolls or we put our dolls to bed or feed them and things as as girls. And then we become mothers, maybe. And maybe a lot of mothers feel like they made the choice, consensual in some way, but actually it's a role that's really been put on them by society and culture a lot. So she's kind of analysing how much of, you know, what I do is me and how much of it is imposed by the structures and ideas and culture around me, which is super interesting as women. Like, I have that thought a lot. Am I doing this because of the idea of woman, or am I doing this because I, as an individual, want to, or am I doing it because it's expected of me? And I think during Me Too, you also saw a lot of people were like, yeah, but if you didn't want it, you would just say no or something. But it, I think consent is so much more complex than that. Like we're being coerced a lot of the time too. What I think is really interesting about motherhood is that 
you really lose your autonomy. I guess I would say, based on the argument that you just made, I guess as a woman, you really never have autonomy over your body, right? Because since day one, you're sort of brainwashed into thinking your only role in life is to be a mother and to be a woman. But if you think about one of the things that I've seen a lot of pregnant women, for example, complain about is that the second you know, you're visibly pregnant, strangers think it's okay to touch your stomach. People don't ask for permission to touch you. Everyone has an opinion on what you should be eating. You know, there's been stories of women who go into cafes and will order a, you know, a coffee and the barista will like refuse to serve them saying, no, you're pregnant. I won't give you caffeine. It's like everyone suddenly has an opinion or thinks they have the right to tell you what to do with your body. And and like people who have no idea, right? Like who says caffeine is bad for you when you're pregnant? You know, like even doctors, I think, disagree. It was super interesting when my sister was pregnant. She has two kids. She had one kid in Germany and she had the other kid in the US. And her German doctor was like, yeah, you have a glass of wine like every now and then. That's fine. A glass of red wine. Whereas the American doctor was like, absolutely no alcohol, you know? So like even medical professionals don't have a unanimous opinion on some of these things. And yet a 20-year-old barista in a cafe thinks he knows what's best for your body. So as someone who is, you know, entering motherhood, you're already so regulated by society. So this, you know, touched out, I think you can be both physically touched out, but I think there's also like a mental load of being mentally touched out as well, you know? And the way this, what you just described, sort of ties into rape culture is that the needs of the infant are seen as you know superior and all important the mother's individuality and her needs are subservient and you can see this in the relationship between the genders men and women that women are supposed to be subservient to men's wants and needs i also think it's super interesting because People always make this argument when it comes to abortion where they're like, oh, but what if that baby goes on to like cure cancer, make some really scientific, you know, great scientific discovery, right? This is like an argument you hear a lot, but no one ever says, what if the mother, there's such a focus on, oh, what the baby could do, what the baby could do. And you're like, or what about the mom? She's completely by the by in this situation, her potential, her life, her wants, her needs, who cares about it? Yeah. And also just to pick up on the point of touched out this phenomenon yeah I think you're right it's not just a physical feeling on the website of La Leche League they describe this as a mix of anxiety claustrophobia and guilt over feeling irritated by your loved one yeah so I think you're totally right like it's a mental thing too she says as a mother there's so much responsibility put on you so for example this thing about attachment styles has become super big on the internet right now. And we have upcoming really soon an interview with an attachment coach to talk about this. But this idea of giving your child secure attachment is linked to motherhood also, because mothers then, you know, have to sleep with their babies, they have to touch their babies in lots of different ways. They have to interact with their babies and breastfeed and do all these things. And so there's also this like big mental weight on the mother to sacrifice herself you know for the needs of the child which in some ways is natural but then uh, Amanda Montai is talking about it in 
the context of specifically American motherhood, where you don't have maternity leave, you have to give up your career, you don't have childcare, your financial autonomy, your identity and your work and everything else is taken away from you in this context. So it's a really extreme structure. And this structure, which, you know, focuses on the nuclear family and then the man going out to work most of the time, it is the woman still who is all the pressure of all the child rearing plus the emotional responsibility for the child is put on the mother. So in this context, it's really hard. I think that honestly, there is no member of our society that is so revered as the mother and yet so badly treated. Because I think that, you know, you have all these images of the mom in pop culture of this holy character, you know, like in certain cultures, the mama is this amazing, you know, starting with like the Virgin Mary, you know, but we actually treat them so incredibly shit. And it's such a truly sad thing because we laddle them with so much responsibility, right? If something goes wrong, it's always the mother's fault. But this imagery, it's so manipulative because we really brainwash women into thinking that this is the role of a lifetime. And it really is a role. And that's not to say that there aren't some people, some women who legitimately enjoy motherhood. I don't want to insult anyone. But I think what she's saying also is like, of course, you can enjoy it. But the thing is that mothers, because of the manipulation find it really hard to ask for time and space away from their children to tell their children, no, I'm, you know, I'm not available to you at this time. And she as a mother is saying, actually, this is really important for us to do with our children to teach them about consent and boundaries. But what we're asking of mothers is that they have no boundaries and they shouldn't assert their own needs. And then this perpetuates basically rape culture this idea that you can do anything to a woman and she should serve you in some way. So she's saying as a mother, one of her most important jobs now is like to really tell her children, no, I don't like that. Or, you know, mummy is not a toy or, you know, whatever. Because kids can poke you and pull your hair and crawl all over you and drag you from this room to the other room and tell you to watch them. And they are demanding of you all the time. And part of your responsibility is also to teach them by modeling it autonomy and consent and yeah, ideas like your this. Body. You know, the amount of like Instagram reels and videos that people post where it's like, tell me you're a mom without telling me you're a mom. And it's talking about how like it's a luxury to go to the bathroom on your own. You know what I mean? Like videos of them closing the door and just being like, oh, this is heaven. It's like women can't even use the bathroom in private mothers, you know, and it's it's seen as so normal that they do this. Yeah, actually, I remember um, during Corona, we had one of those Zoom birthday parties for a friend of mine who's a mother and like a lot of her friends are mothers. And literally one of them called in from, she was sitting on the floor of her bathroom with a bottle of wine. And that ties into another book that was recently released, which is about Mum Rage by Mina Dubin, who we actually talked about during Corona, we talked about this idea of mum rage because the New York Times had a big section on it during Corona. And what I really find interesting about this book is that this book is kind of saying, well, mum rage is a thing. Mums get really, really angry sometimes and it's okay. 
Whereas Amanda Mantai, what I really like about her as a writer is she's just like, it's a really complicated, fucked up situation. I'm analyzing it. And I don't know what the, the solution is. It's kind of beyond me. And with Zubin, it's kind of a bit more simplistic. It's like just accept that mothers are people too. But that's also like modeling a new ideal for mothers as well. You know what I mean? But also a solution is not necessarily that you are able to, I mean, of course you should be able to, I mean, you should be able to express your feelings to really like absolutely get angry with your children all the time. Like this is not a good sustainable solution either. It reminds me of the movie Bad Moms. Have you seen this movie? Yes. Yeah. The whole premise of this movie, right, is that there's the one mom and she, you know, drives the cool car and she's, you know, just living her life. She has a kid, but she doesn't really let it define her. And then you have the other two women who are, you know, like the do-it-all, perfect mothers. And then something happens and they break and then they join the bad mom and it's such an interesting phenomenon because Hollywood is one of the most manipulative things that exist in the Western culture because this movie is speaking to something super real, right? It's so difficult. There's so much pressure. There's so much societal expectations on mother. Um, Kristen Bell's character, I mean, she's sort of, you know, like struggling to be this perfect mom. And then they break and they become bad moms. And so you would think that you would walk away from this movie going like, wow, like we should probably give moms a break or like we need to rethink our society and rethink all of these like stereotypes and these boxes we put women in and we should probably blah, blah, blah. But no, you walk away from that movie thinking, so the thesis of the movie is Mila Kunis is a bad mom. I feel like at the end of the movie, it reaffirms women's place. Do you think so? I think it doesn't because it's saying... That actually mums need to do things without their children and have their own lives. And they are, yeah, it's a comedy, so it's called Bad Mums. But like they, because they think they're being bad mums, but they're not. They're just, you're on their side. No, because I remember walking away from that movie, how I feel about a, a lot of Hollywood movies, where you feel like, oh, I feel like they almost got it, but then didn't. Where it's like, they're, you feel like they're on the right path to making a good point. But then at the end, they sort of compromise on it to sell you an easy to swallow. Ah. Just because at the end, right? It, it just basically, the characters turns into showing how they can have it all rather than being women who lead their lives for themselves, right? Because Mila Kunis's character goes back to work. She is appreciated. So she's just kind of continuing in the loop, right? She's like, well, she has to make money for her family because her husband's useless. And so she has to go and, you know, go to the PTA meeting and give the big speech and become leader of the PTA. It's just like, they're not really resolved of all the responsibility of being mothers. They're just sort of pushed into a corner of like, no, women can have it all. Look, they can be great moms and they can kick ass at their job and they can have friends. And it's still just like, I think, per perpetuating this, this, again, this myth of women can have it all, which is, I think, it, being a mom is hard. Having a job is hard. Imagine society expecting you to do both. And instead of helping you in some way, going like, wow, women are superheroes. Look at them. 
Like, I feel like this idea that, oh, women can do it all. And I think we touched on this a little bit in our last episode. This idea that, like, oh, women can do it all is just another way of ladling women with more responsibility rather than helping them in some way. Because it is true that, you know, even women who work are still saddled with, you know, who have male partners are still saddled with, I think it's 70% of the household chores still fall to women, even if both men and women work. I think actually that's why this book is really interesting because it extends beyond motherhood. Because what she's always asked, it's a really cool question. And I'm also asking myself this, how much of herself exists outside of patriarchal control and misogynist culture a lot of us are products of the world and how do we create space to resist that world in when I was in school at university we did this exercise it was super fascinating where we wrote our name in the middle and then around you basically had to write all of the things that like defined you you know what i mean like who who were you you know you had to explain who you were and most of the most women or or you know people from marginalized groups regardless of their gender wrote things like I am a woman, I am a daughter, I am a sister. Some of the black uh, children wrote black, you know, like all of these things that society is constantly defining us of. And it was interesting because most of the, you know, cis, white, straight men wrote none of these things. For them, like being a man was not a defining aspect of who they were. And I remember after that exercise, kind of sitting there thinking to myself, who am I? Because I realized that outside of like what society has told me I am, I like, I was like, whoa, are all the things that define me societal expectations? I'm a woman. I'm a sister. I am a daughter. I am, you know, those were the things I instinctively wrote down. But who actually am I beyond those things? This was like more than 13 years by now. And I still haven't sat down and figured it out. But it's really important. It's also important, like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? So, like, I'm a good cook, but the reason I'm a good cook is, I think, because I'm a woman and it's one of my woman things, I think. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done that, I think, figured out how to cook well. And then some things I'm doing, I'm doing some things to test out or defy defy um, something that's been put on me. So, like, I'm quite feminine as a woman. And then I went to Andalusia and I was watching flamenco, and it's quite masculine as a dance. The women are dancing quite masculine and powerful. And I was like, I need to go towards that energy because there's all this feminine, feminine, feminine stuff. Uh, it's been perpetuated, right, somehow in me. And then I need to go to the masculine stuff because I need the masculine energy type thing, which is a, it's a different energy of dance. Like it's like they just don't care. They're going to stamp around, make a lot of noise. <laughs> I mean, that's not a very good definition of flamenco, but a kind of, yeah, like, you know, you really dominate somehow uh, the stage as an individual. And so some of the stuff I'm doing is a response <laughs> to also the culture right so even if I put I'm someone who likes dancing even within that yeah who am I am I in a relationship because I'm always being told that actually that's the way to 
self-fulfillment or am I nice to people because I'm a woman? I think so, yes. Otherwise, I would just be totally rude, which I'm getting ruder. But also, am I doing that just because I'm touched out? You know what I mean? They're doing a lot of things like this stuff, like with the flamenco, all this stuff of like, okay, well, all of society is telling me this thing, so I'm going to do another thing. That's also somehow responding to society in some ways. So once you start down this line, it's uh, interesting. Can I basically, I'm a horrible cook. Can I claim that this is me, me fighting the patriarchy? But do you feel pressure as a woman? Uh, yeah, 100%. Yes. I think that because I oftentimes feel pressure when when it comes to like, oh, you know, people are like, oh, you can have a have a dinner party and invite people over to your house and cook for them. I feel like it's a societal expectation. And I feel oftentimes like when it comes to food, I do feel judged when I'm like, listen, I just I can't cook. I, I lack some sort of intrinsic taste bud thing, which is fine by me because I actually don't enjoy the act of cooking. Like I'm way too impatient to cook. I enjoy eating but I don't enjoy cooking. And I don't understand why I have to stand here for 30 minutes chopping and slowly sauteing something. It drives me nuts. Like, I just want to eat. If I'm not responsible for the cooking, happily will eat a meal that has taken three hours. But it's interesting because I wasn't raised in a household where, and this this comes very much from my mother because my mom gave up her career. She, she became a, a, a stay-at-home mom for a certain amount of time. And she's always regretted it. She did it for love and has, to my face, told me before, don't have children. It becomes kind of a thing of like, how much are you influenced by the outside world? And how much are you influenced by the way you are raised? But this is the problem. Because you might have been raised, don't get married, don't have children. But then you're going to step into a relationship with somebody who has been raised in a more of a patriarchal household and then how do you handle this that's what she's talking about right so you can be free on your in your mind how much space mm-hmm. do you create for freedom and and yourself and how do you do that and what is yourself and what parts of you buy into the patriarchal stuff too it's like actually really interesting yeah i mean how do you how honestly i think it's really difficult for a woman to know who she really is and, and, and I think also for men to a certain extent too, because you receive so much messaging from, from a young age and, and so much brainwashing about who you are, what you're supposed to be. It reminds me, there's this episode of Gilmore Girls where the main character, Lorelai, is sitting at the table looking at a Pop-Tart. And she's thinking to herself, she's like, do I actually like Pop-Tarts? And she says that when she was a kid, she grew up in a household where she wasn't allowed to eat Pop-Tarts. And then when she was, I don't know, 11 or 12, she went to a friend's house and she had a Pop-Tart for the first time. And because she knew that her mother would hate it, she started loving it. And now as an adult, she's sitting there going like, do I even like Pop-Tarts? And I think that that's just like a thing you go on and on as a woman. You're just like, do I really like children or was I told I'm a woman, I should be motherly? Do I really like cooking or have I always been told that a woman's job is to cook? You know, like it's so hard as a woman to know who you are, to be like, do I want to be a mother 
or has society indoctrinated me to think that I want to, to be a mother, you know? And, and men have it to a certain extent, of course. I mean, I think they have it massively. And I think the, the, the solution that she's saying, which is why she's saying there is actually no clear answer on this. And, you know, a lot of it is, is the questioning. And then the other thing that she says, which is a really good approach, I think is like to really go back to your body and feel like, how am I feeling in my body right now? What is my body telling me? Where am, am I right now? Because that is maybe one way into really sort of feeling and knowing yourself better. And on that note, we are actually doing a live episode at PodFest about women and bodies. Or you can be any gender if you like and talk about bodies. Um, but yeah, with all this stuff with motherhood and things, it's actually really interesting. There are different dimensions that have you know, specifically to do with women as well. So come along and join us at Noisy Rooms at 8pm on October the 15th. And then you can talk about your relationship with your body. Until then, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, I'm going to do it right now, I think. I'm going to sit down and do the exercise that Rena described earlier on, which is to draw a circle and write down all the things that you think you are and then look at it and think about what developed or was passed down, or what parts are defined by culture and what parts are truly me. Thing two, I think that setting boundaries is super, super important. Very important for mothers, but I think important for all women. And I think we all let our boundaries be um, discarded. So I would really encourage everyone to know your boundaries and to set them and to communicate them in a very clear way. And thing three, read Amanda Montai's book. It's called Touched Out. Subscribe to her newsletter, Mad Woman on Substack. She's a really good thinker. She writes really well. And she's really open and honest about her life and her experiences and doesn't claim to have all the answers, but she's always super thought-provoking. That's all for this week. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 Euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.